So Jesus' presence was to bless, okay? This is some basic fundamental stuff about what we believe. Um, And then he took and he handed off that blessing presence to the church, the people of God. And they began to fan out. And we've got the story of some of them in the Apostle Paul, how they fanned out to bring the blessing of Jesus, the presence of God to the people around them who were in need. And over about a 10-year period or so, we get to see how uh, Paul and his companions would, would be the hands and feet of Jesus, reaching out into community, four different provinces, provinces uh, many, many cities, and many, many lives are touched. That's where we are in the book of Acts right now, is this, this fanning out of the blessing of Jesus to touch more and more lives, and it's being stewarded by the church, the people of God. Uh, We get to follow Paul and Barnabas, and where we are in this story right now is at the very end of the first missionary journey, and I just want to remind all of us that these stories in the book of Acts about the formation of the church and the beginning of the church, these are our origin stories. This This is our DNA. Here, so many thousand years later, right, gathered together, different people, different journeys, different experiences, we still have this one thing in common. This is our origin story, how we began, how we got here. And there are some elements of that story having to do with the DNA of that community that are very much a part of our story as well. Who are we? And what is, what is God's design for us as a church? And so we kind of get to explore that a little bit. And I'm excited to do that in light of what's happening in our congregation and our church because we're leaning into what we've been calling our Vision 2025. Um, and let me just uh, put it up here again for you. Um, this is what we're looking at in the coming season. Uh, if we kind of look at the horizon of 2025, what do we see God doing um, we've been trying to put words to this, and this is what, how we're, we're talking about it right now. We envision releasing waves of gospel-centered ambassadors who will fan out across the Bay Area and beyond. As they reflect the light of the gospel into all facets of life, they will make it possible for others to find God, even in our unchurched, highly secular environment. These ambassadors will be equipped by a growing team of disciples, teachers, and advocates who will help prepare them for the unique work to which they have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the next season, uh, it looks kind of like this. If you go to the next slide. So we're thinking about this uh, over the initial steps. In the summer and the fall of 2019, we're going to build capacity. And, and that's uh, a little bit of what you sense in there about uh, helping people to live into their calling as ambassadors for Christ. And, and I'm not talking about people who we got to get beyond this idea that, you know, the people who are ambassadors who are the ones vocationally called to work in the church. It's, no, it's every single one of us, wherever God sends us, wherever we are. And so how do we do a better job of equipping people for that calling, for that ambassadorship? That's what we're going to be doing, building capacity over the summer and the fall. And then uh, we're looking uh, at uh, launching our campus in El Cerrito uh, during the winter and the spring of 2020. And then uh, looking at church planting off in the distance in the winter, perhaps of 2021 or sometime after that. Now, after I shared this vision a few weeks ago, uh, one of our college students came up and said, you know, I'm in. 
can I do an internship with you guys next year? So um, we're, Sean uh, uh, is going to come on to do an internship. He's still going to be a full-time student, so that'll be part-time. We still have Ryan, who's going to stick with us for uh, another year at least. Um, he's in the back there and excited about that. And then um, I've been sort of mentioning this in the last few weeks. We've talked about the vision, but we've also been in conversation with uh, Gabe Garcia and Carrie Garcia, and they are right here with us today. So I'm so excited. To, could you two stand up? And let me tell you a little bit about them. Um, so Gabe and I have known each other for probably seven, eight years. We've been just tracking along. Gabe's a pastor. He's worked at three um, significant churches in Sacramento and then now in Santa Clarita. Um, and he has been executive pastor type, discipler type, but has sensed in the last while a call uh, from the Lord to uh, plant a church, to begin moving in that direction. And he went through assessment recently and was positively assessed for church planting and wanted to uh, come alongside and, and work with somebody and a team of people who have planted before and sort of do a residency. And so we've been in conversation about Gabe and Carrie and their three children coming to be with us for a year. Uh, and that would likely, if it goes, uh, be in the spring of 2020, starting in the spring of 2020. And so they've been meeting with our church council yesterday and elders and then with staff today, uh, just getting to know them a little bit. But we uh, see God already moving and leaning into some of the vision dynamics here, which is pretty exciting. And I want to encourage you to take some time uh, after or between services to, to get to know Gabe and Carrie today um, uh, if you have an opportunity to do that. So they're sitting right here. Raise your hands again just so make, make sure everybody knows who they are. Greet them and love on them. We're so glad uh, and uh, so excited about uh, walking this journey with you. Now, it's not just, though, like I said, this is for every single one of us. And one of the things that we've been saying is that the church that we have now is the ministry team, and the church that God is growing us into is not even here yet. And as we get aligned with each other and begin to serve more and more each other and grow, uh, then God's going to use that capacity to reach out to others. And all the multiplication stuff that the book of Acts talks about is tied into disciple-making. So we've got to do that well together. We've got to see lives change and transform if we're going to continue to go from that point and multiply. So what is it that is this DNA? What's the DNA that's in us that leads to this? And there, there's lots of elements of it, but in the passage we're in today, there's two that I want to highlight. So would you open up to the book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 21 and 28, chapter 14 through 28. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll pass one to you. Don't be shy about that. Love for you to follow along in the actual text. Really cool stuff happening here, chapter 14, verses 21 through 28. Uh, in that Bible, it's page 538. And I want to kind of apologize. This is one of those transition sections in the book of Acts. So there's a lot of cities that are like moving from one place to another. And, and it, sometimes it, it gets a little overwhelming. So I, I apologize. For that. In fact, we'll put a map up here. And if you get confused, you can look and see at the, the map. I hope you can see it from where you're at. But the red box on the right is where they started over in Antioch. And then they've done this journey through Cyprus, and then they've gone up uh, to a different Antioch, and then they're going to end up in Derby, which is right in the top middle there. And then they're going to turn around and retrace their footsteps. And that's the part that we're reading about, is that turnaround and then retracing their footsteps. So uh, if you remember context from last week, uh, Paul had just been beaten up in um, the city of uh, Lystra, and so... Um, they left there, and they thought he was dead, and he went on to Derby, and that's where we pick him up. He's in the city of, of Derby. Verse 21 says, when they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, 
and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra um, and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We're going to take some time to pray at the end of the message today, so just get your hearts ready for that. Verse 24, then they passed through Psydia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. We'll come back to that. And when they arrived and gathered the church together back in Antioch, so this is the church that sent them out. They went and did their thing, came back, probably between about a year, maybe two years later, they came back. When they had arrived and gathered the church back together in Antioch, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And I love this. And they remained no little time with the disciples. They sort of sat in enjoyment and presence and relationship and community together. All right. So two elements of the DNA that's embedded in us because we are in the line of this same movement are number one, community, and number two, grace. And that's what I want to focus on as we think about our vision and living into the vision that God has given us as a church. We want to do it with community, and we want to do it by God's grace. And that's what comes out of this text. So let's talk about community first. And just understand that Paul had been beaten up in Lystra. In fact, he was so beaten there because of his proclamation of the gospel that they thought he was dead and they walked away. But then he popped back up again. And, uh, and then Barnabas encouraged him and they went on to Derby, and he continued. Uh, and then they turn around in Derby to retrace their steps back through these towns. And the first one they go back to is Lystra. Can you believe it? He's just been beaten up and left for dead there. And he goes right back to strengthen and encourage the believers that are there in that city. Um, and the word strengthen is, is from the same uh, root as we get our word steroid, which I thought was interesting. Now, I went and kind of did some research, and the etymology of it is complicated. It doesn't go directly there. But this idea of being strengthened, and when you think about uh, steroids, you think about being strengthened, right? So hold that image. We'll circle, circle back to that one. And then the word for encourage there. So they were going back to these places. They were strengthening the new Christians that were there, and they were encouraging them. And the, and the word for that is the same word that's often used for the Holy Spirit. So in a sense, Paul and Barnabas are like they're, they're the hands and feet of the Holy Spirit to the people in these cities who have recently just found the blessing of Jesus and they're learning and growing, and Paul and Barnabas are fortifying them. Uh, and this is what the point that I want to make first, is that healthy community has this power to fortify us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to make it possible for us to keep going. There's something additive. When you're in healthy community, you have more possibility of that than when you're going it alone when you're by yourself. There's a strengthening element 
that comes from healthy community. And it, it's so interesting because Barnabas, that's not even his real name. That's his nickname. His name's Joseph. And Barnabas means in Aramaic, son of encouragement, which is this, and then it ends, it's the same word about they went. So the, Barnabas was known as an encourager. This is what Barnabas does. You know, he gave up his field for the believers in the very beginning when we first met him. So he was giving a ton, very generous. And then he goes and finds Paul when probably people were suspicious of Paul because of Paul's past. And he says, no, he's a good guy. You know, bring him in to the team. And, and then Paul starts ministering there in Antioch. And so Barnabas, that's who he is. He's an encourager. And you can imagine him going back. I think of him like, you know, the big brother that comes and puts his arm around you when you need it and just encourages you to keep going. And, and he goes back. And, and then Paul is with him. And Paul, I, I got to imagine if he was half left for dead, he's still bloodied, right? Bruised, got a big knot on his head. And he shows back up and, he, and he's happy still. I mean, that's the, that's the testimony throughout the book of Acts is, you know, they celebrated when they were persecuted for preaching the gospel. So there's Paul and he's bloodied and beaten up and happy. I get to suffer for Jesus. And he's in, his very presence is an encouragement to the brothers and sisters that are in these different towns. And I don't know what Paul would have said to them, but I know what Paul said to Christians later on. So, for example, in Philippians 1, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you. You could just hear his heart in this. All making my, uh, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we could have all kinds of examples of the way that Paul prays for the, the people in his sphere. He's an encourager. He loves. And so you can just imagine them going back and strengthening and encouraging, and, and it shows you the power of community. Living in healthy community is like being on steroids. So at the end of March, uh, I came down with a bad case of poison oak, and I'm super allergic to poison oak, so I, I get poison oak pretty frequently, and if it gets really bad, and this one got really bad, it was all over my body, um, I had to um, get steroids, because that's the way that you clear up the poison oak. And so I got these steroids. And as has happened in the past, you know, steroids work. Like, <laughs> they strengthen you. And so I started taking them on a Thursday, nothing. And then Friday, nothing. And then Saturday, we had this plan to go down to Santa Cruz and go surfing with my kids. So we went. And we went out in the water and spent like three and a half hours. And I hadn't been in the water for a long time, you know. So I thought, man, I'm going to be toast when I get back. So um, we got out, and I, I felt fine, um, drove all the way home, um, did a couple things, went, went straight to the office and worked until 10 p.m., um, and then went to bed, but I couldn't sleep. So I only got four hours of sleep, and then I got up and preached twice, uh, and then I went and had lunch, and, and then I got on my bike and did a 50-mile bike ride in two and a half hours. <laughs> and I came back, and I still wasn't tired, and so Jody and I went out on a date. And then I got up in the morning and went to work like 8 o'clock in the morning, and I was sitting at my desk, and I'm like, I feel fine. This is great. Um, and, and, and so then I immediately texted uh, Mike Van Nord, who's a doctor, and uh, I got a, 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 a breakfast with him, and we sat down, and I said, Mike, I need more steroids. <laughs> and he said, Andrew, let me talk to you about the aging process. <laughs> 
I feel like I'm 28 again. <laughs> um, so, so, so there's something uh, strengthening about community. I did a little experiment on Monday. I went out for a bike ride. I didn't mean to do an experiment, but it just sort of happened. And the first hour, I was by myself, and I felt awful. And I was like, I think this is my last bike ride. I hate biking. Um, I don't feel good. Uh, and, and so then, but I'll go, I guess I'll just drag myself to meet my friends because all my biking buddies were meeting at like a little later. So I met them and I was like, okay, I made it here. And then we start biking and we're talking and chatting and we're going and they're setting the pace. And it was the most amazing sort of experiment. I almost felt like God was showing me something in this that when I was with them and we were riding together, all that, all that frustration and that sense of I'm done with this and I hate it, well, it just evaporated, right? It's the power of community to give you and to carry you, to strengthen you and to encourage you when you feel like you just you can't go anymore. Uh, and this is such an important lesson. We see it all over the pages of the book of Acts that they worked. In fact, Paul and Barnabas, they weren't sent out. We we often send people out one by one, or we think we've got to go out and do things one by one, but that's not, it does, that's not what the New Testament shows us. They go out in community. It was Paul and Barnabas, but it was actually other people, too, were with them. They did everything in community, and you can imagine there's Paul half dead, and Barnabas like, get up, Paul. I'm taking you to the next town. You know, he's not alone in the process, and he's not going to leave the other believers alone. And then um, you can see it's in, that it's in their DNA because when, they go, when they're all done with this first journey, they go back to Antioch. And what do they do? They share everything with the church in Antioch. And they have this grand celebration. And as they have this grand celebration, it says, I love that last line, uh, and, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So they just sort of relished the time of community and celebration together. They just lived into it. And it was natural for them to do that because they were doing it all together. They were doing it in community. And we often ask, you know, what's your mission? What are you, what are you doing? You know, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? And I wonder if maybe the more important question sometimes is, who's your team? Who's your team? Who, whatever you're doing, who are you doing it with? In fact, one of the most beautiful things, I feel like this is where God is, is more and more uh, teaching me recently, is to focus on the community element and to let the vision emerge out of the healthy relationships that, that God is fashioning together. As we love one another, as we, we carry out the commands of the New Testament, as we try to live out the way we're supposed to live together, um, as that happens, then the vision and the calling emerges from that. In fact, at the end of the service sermon today, I want to invite you into the vision, envisioning process so that we can do this together. This is going to be the prayer piece that I keep mentioning because it's so important. I think, I think uh, in a world that's obsessed with task and what you do rather than who you are, it becomes increasingly important for us to, 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 to lean in to who we are. And an element, an important element of that is community. And that's what you see in the New Testament. That they, they go out and do things, but they do it together. And they have this, 
this relationship. And it's not always perfect. We're going to see that. In fact, on this first missionary journey, there was a problem that occurred. And, and we'll get to that in the upcoming texts. Community is hard. I get that. It's, it's a challenge. And this is a huge topic. And some of us have huge barriers up against being in community because maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we've been hurt in a church setting. And so we're afraid. Um, but I want to encourage you this morning, because I don't have time to go into all the, the elements that make for community, I want to encourage you just in, in one way to, to, to take a risk, to take a risk in community this, this week and this season. And if you're not in a home group, then get in a home group. If you're in a home group, but you've been holding back and not letting people know what are the things that you're wrestling with right now and, and struggling with, if you've been not transparent, take the risk. Or, or if the home group is too big, find a couple of people in that home group to get together with. Um, if you do that regularly, we call these Emmaus partnerships, and, and share with them what's really going on in your life so that they can speak into it. And, you know, like Mike Van Nord tell you that, you know, this is the aging process, and no, you can't have steroids, but I'll be with you. <laughs> and, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, we'll have community. Um, this is part of what, of what God has for us to be able to move forward. And I think this is such an important part of what it means to be church, that as we are building out the capacity for our vision 2025 and talking about Gospel Academy, one of the things that we want to do is add to the core courses in our Gospel Academy, what does healthy community look like? What is healthy? How do we live in healthy community? Because it's essential to the mission that God has given us. It, it, it precedes the mission in many respects. And so we want to be learning and how to do that. And, and I think that in our world today, it's so scattered and we get to fracture our community by going to different cities, uh, working in this city, living in this city, going to church in this city. We've got all this fracturing of community. It's harder for us in some ways. It's harder for us. And we're so... In, enraptured with getting things done that we don't allow for the time that is required to be in healthy community. There's all kinds of things are wrapped up in this. So community, that's the first thing. That's part of our DNA. That's what we have to offer oftentimes. That's what the church is. It's, it's a community. I want to encourage us in that light. And the second one that uh, comes to the fore here is this idea of grace. Community and grace in addition to community, we need massive helping of God's grace to move forward in the vision that God has given us. If you look in verse 26, you'll see what I mean. And this is um, referring to how they even launched this whole journey to begin with. It says, and from there, they sailed to Antioch. So they returned back to Antioch. And remember, Antioch is where they started. And it says, where, listen how this is phrased. This is how their whole journey was shaped where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So when they left to go do this work, this ministry, the church of Antioch didn't say, you guys are so brilliant, so strategic, so competent, so insightful, and so wise that we're entrusting you to all that to accomplish this goal. They said, no, the only way that you're going to accomplish this is by the grace of God. 
Despite it, they commended them not to their own capacities and brilliance and insight. They commended them to the grace of God. Because it's by the grace of God that the good things of Jesus happen. It's by the grace of God. Fruitfulness in mission, or even those of you who are, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't even know what this whole church stuff is. I'm just asking the question, do I have, want to have a relationship with Jesus? It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. It all happens by the grace of God. If you want to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ, or even to know who Jesus is, that happens by the grace of God. If you want to go out on mission and serve and make a difference in the world, it happens by the grace of God, not by strategy ultimately, not by your competency ultimately, not by your tenacity ultimately, not by your brilliance ultimately. All of those things might be employed in the process to one degree or another, but they are never the ultimate cause. And that's what the believers at Antioch understood and knew, and that's what they were sending them out with. It's not all that stuff. Just the grace of God. It's by the grace of God that you will grow and change and be transformed. And whatever brokenness you brought in here this morning that just you've been laboring with and you're so frustrated and you keep trying to fix it in your own strength. And guess what? You know what you need? The grace of God. That's how it all started. As human beings, we have this tendency to want to earn favor with the people around us, and, and then ultimately to earn favor with God. If we think that if we do it all right, if we're competent and strategic enough, then God will like us and the people will like us. And so we put all this pressure on ourselves to be that. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, you know what? You'll never do it. You can't. You can't be good enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for you. I'm going to show you and live it for you. And then the thing, the sin that separates you from God because you, you haven't been able to do it in your own strength, I'm going to take into myself going to the cross. That's the gospel. And it all starts there. But it doesn't end there. It continues forward. Everything that happens in our lives that is the good work of God to heal us. Some of you are just, you're beating yourself up over and over again because you haven't been changed fast enough. And I want to just release, I want to fire that person in you today. You're fired from being your own God. Okay? You just got fired. There's only one who can do that. And it will only be by the grace of God. So you throw yourself, it's actually very freeing. This is the good news. You throw yourself on the mercy of God. I can't change myself, God. Will you change me, please? Will you grow me? Will you fix this broken thing in my life? Will you heal me from my sin? Will you take away my sin? Will you give me vision for my life? Will you help to build that vision around my, my, my understanding of who you are? And how I, I actually want to live for you, Jesus. I keep messing up because I get caught up in the world and I can't stop it. Would you heal me from that? I need your grace. Ultimately, it's only by the grace of God. And that's actually really good news. One of the things that's frustrating in life is when you have responsibility for something that you don't have authority or power for, over. So I notice this in, in employment situations. 
if I give somebody responsibility that, that, that they don't have authority or the power to do, then frustration follows. And that's why some of us are so frustrated because we think that we have responsibility and authority to do what only God can do. And so you need to fire that person and let God be God and throw yourself on the mercy and the grace of God in his goodness. That's the gospel, and it's freeing. You don't have to be God in your life. God is going to be God for you. Um, and this helps to kind of um, make sense of some of the suffering that happens in here. We, we kind of left that verse 22. It says that when Paul went back, he, said, he encouraged them to continue the faith, saying that through many tribu- tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And, and that was, he was saying that to them while he had bruises you know, and lumps from being beaten up in, in Lystra. And so they were seeing that kind of in spades. And, and I, I, I struggle with this. I don't know, at times, sometimes I just feel like, God, why does there have to be so much suffering in the process of carrying out your work? And I, I mean, ultimately, I haven't suffered that much, but I feel like I have suffered, right? We all feel like we've suffered compared to just, it's just our experience, right? Um, and I wonder sometimes, God, why does there have to be, why do, couldn't you just not have me suffer? Wouldn't I be a better servant of yours in that? Like, wouldn't I be able to do more for you if I didn't suffer? I, I have those questions. And I don't know all the answers, and I don't think anybody knows all the answers to suffering and, and why there's so much suffering. But Paul says very clearly, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's just a reality. And he was half dead. He, was, he had to get up and walk 60 miles to the next town, Derby, after he was beaten up. One commenter says of this text, I once saw the track of a bleeding rabbit across the snow. That was Paul's track across Europe. What a powerful image. Think of Paul like a bleeding rabbit. You know, but he wasn't joyless in the process. We see that over and over again. It's his joy to follow Jesus. Now, I don't know all the causes and the purposes of suffering, and I don't know all what God is doing in your suffering right now or in my suffering, I think there's multiple things that God accomplishes. But one of the things that he accomplishes that fits in line with what we're talking about here regarding the grace of God and the fact that God, God's the one who opens the doors and accomplishes these things is that when we're suffering and, and God still works, it's very obvious that God is the one who's doing it. He gets the glory. It's very obvious that he is the one who's doing it. And that was true with Paul. Paul had all of the strategy, brilliance, education, everything. But God chose to use through him in his suffering. He didn't use his degree hanging on the wall. He used his bruises on his head to minister to the people that he was called to. think about this oftentimes, and maybe you've seen this in your life too, that sometimes in those seasons of suffering, I just, I feel like, oh man, it's all going to fall apart, you know? And then over and over again, I'm surprised to see that 
It was in the midst of that suffering, oftentimes, where God did his most powerful work. And I just have to say, it was you. And I think that's kind of what God wants for us to say. It's by your grace. It's you that does it. It's not me. You're the one, God. You're the one who opens doors. See, that's what they said. That's what they said in verse 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. So they got to be a part of it, but God did it. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It's always and forever by his grace. If we don't live by his grace, we, we start striving all over each other, right? Because we're trying to control the situation and to control others. And we feel anxious and we feel stress. And we miss the doors that God opens for us. And this is why they, they prayed and fasted, I think, in verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Because they knew that ultimately, even though they were going to have some strategy, they were going to appoint elders, and they're going to have like a plan for some things, ultimately it was going to be the Lord who would care for them and watch over them. And it was going to be by His grace that they would continue on, that they would flourish, that they would multiply, that they would be healed, that they would grow. All those things were going to be by God's grace. So I want to shift gears a little bit and give us some time to reflect. And God, I just pray that you would really meet us uh, in this moment and be with us in a special way. But in light of the vision that we have to release waves of ambassadors, you know, people who are centered on the gospel, being healed by the grace of God, and there's an overflow of that into the lives of others. In light of that vision, I want to give you a chance to respond. And, and so you'll see there's a, there's a paper on all your seats. You're sitting on them, and there's a pen next to you. And we want to take a moment of silence, and this might be a little awkward because we don't have much silence in our world today. We'll actually have some music going, so it's not too uncomfortable. Um, we want to take a moment to just sort of to pray for a little bit. And, and, and this is a kind of prayer that we've been leaning into in our Gospel Academy. We haven't shared it as much with the whole congregation, but we've been working on this kind of prayer um, where we just sort of come as a blank slate to the Lord and, and open up our hearts to the Lord and, and listen for God, um, reflect on what God is doing in our lives and around us. And I, I, so I'm going to give you a couple handles to hold on to during this time of prayer. I'd like you to think about uh, this first question, Lord, how do you see Solano Church? So that's sort of a community question. How do you see Solano Church? And I won't be surprised if some of you have some scriptures that come to mind that might be really important for us in this key moment of our journey together. Or you might have some sort of idea that 
comes to mind. Uh, or you might uh, have a picture of something that comes to mind. And all this stuff, of course, we'll, we'll, we'll test against the Scripture because um, that's what we do. But, but we want to also come with a kind of openness to walking this journey with the Lord. I think about Scriptures like we read in the very beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 2 where this prophecy is said to come to fulfillment. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. So this is a space to dream dreams a little bit. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. That's just to say, nobody is too low to receive the Spirit of God. And they shall prophesy. So the second question that I want to encourage you to reflect on in this time of prayer is, Lord, what is my place in the fulfillment of your work? What is my place in the fulfillment of your work? And again, maybe you, you want to write down some notes or you want to draw a picture or look up a scripture or remember a scripture to write down. Put that on there. And you can keep this if you want or if you feel comfortable. We would love to have you on your way out after the end of the service today, place these in the box. Or actually, when we come up to communion, is that when we want to do it? When you come up to communion, to, to put your, your, your paper in, in these boxes. And we want to read prayerfully through them and just see what, what's there and to pray over it and to think uh, about what's next for us. Because we're an us, Right? And the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. So, Lord, how do you see Solano Church? And what is my place in the fulfillment of your work? So, God, again, we remind ourselves of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which allows for the presence of the Spirit in our midst. And you have promised to pour out your Spirit in that verse on all flesh. That includes us sitting here your sons and daughters. God, we love each other. We love you. We love this church. And we want to walk in unity. As hard as that is uh, at times when we have sinful people together, we know that we also have something greater, which is you and the power of the Spirit to make us one. So work in this time, we ask in Jesus' name.